Hey everyone, it is brilliant to be back. We had a brilliant breakaway as a family, but it's always nice to be home. There's been some lovely rain at this time of the year. And it's been amazing the journey that God has taken sort of the, the church on over the past few weeks, really focusing in on Jesus's life, death and resurrection. And I'm going to key in on that a bit more today, but it's just been, it's been thrilling to see how the Lord just leads things. So I'm going to pray and we are going to dive in. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are with us. Thank you that you are close to us. Thank you that you are building your church. Thank you that uh, you're the one who uh, leads the ship. You're the one who leads us. We get to be part of your mission. We get to, uh, to be a small little piece in your, in your great, incredible puzzle of what you're doing on the earth. And I pray that as we dive into your word today, Holy Spirit, would you, would you really get into our hearts and our minds and our spirits? Would you instruct us? Would you challenge us? Would you make us more like yourself? And would we grow closer to you as a result of this time together? In your wonderful, amazing, glorious name we pray. Amen. So when I was leading uh, youth camps a few years ago now, time ticks along, I had a great friend uh, who was a Christ follower, but his family, uh, his mom and dad, his dad in particular, um, were, were on the opposite end of the scale. So they were, um, they were atheistic, um, they maybe, maybe a little bit open to God, but as far as following the Christian faith, uh, not at all. And uh, he was really bombarded for his decision to follow Christ. Uh, he was often told just about how silly it was and how uh, it wasn't very intellectual and how people with, uh, with proper thought would, would be able to see that, that this just doesn't make sense. Um, and, and, and so this was a really painful time for him. We had lots of conversations. He, he read different books. Uh, we chatted. We prayed together. Um, and I just encouraged him to say, listen, you know, you just dive deeper into who God is, do your study, do your research, but, but the Lord's the one who'll defend you and he's the one who'll show you that he's the truth and, and also just to pray for your family, to pray for your family who doesn't know the Lord um, and, and to ask God to, to open up opportunities to share. And so uh, today what I'd love to dive into is a slightly different angle to the past few weeks, but I would love us to go into and explore the evidence behind Jesus being God in the flesh. So, so really to look at from a practical side, we've been looking at what Jesus accomplished on the cross and, and why he came and, and the power of what he did. Today I'd love to come in on a bit of the evidence side to give us sort of the double-edged sword when it comes to Easter and us looking at the cross of Christ. Um, and so my prayer is that this would give you some strong foundations to build your faith on and possibly to open the door for you to really explore Christ in a real way if you've never opened your heart to Him before. You see, the Christian faith isn't fantasy, it's faith in the truth that's backed up by fact. So the Christian faith is faith, it's believing in something you can't see, but that's based on truth. So it's faith in the truth of who Jesus is, and this is backed up by fact. And so you can be confident in your faith no matter how knocked about you are by media, knocked about you are by what you read, knocked about by, by people who have different faiths. You can be confident in your faith um, because of what it's based on. So that's what we're going to dive into. So before we go any further, we should probably ask the question of, did Jesus actually exist? We should probably ask that question. Interestingly, almost, although people did before, almost no one debates that Jesus existed on earth now. 
Christ follower or not, Jesus as a human is not in question. So we don't need to ask that question. Jesus was a real person and Christ followers and not Christ followers, historians, uh, professors, everyone believes Jesus came to earth or that he was born on earth if they don't believe that he's God. The key question is, was he God? Now, Jesus certainly believed that he was. So Jesus helped it. Look at this in John 10 verse 10. Uh, Jesus said that I am the way, the truth, and the life. So Jesus himself was saying, I am truth, I'm the way to God, and I bring you life. That's what he said. He also said in John 7, verse 57 to 59, uh, this is what it says. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? So he was talking about being God, or they're having this conversation. Look what happens. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Now, already, how did he hide himself amongst everyone? Well, he either disappeared or teleported. I mean, that's God himself. But you notice how he said, before Abraham was, I am. Now, I am, in the Old Testament, which the Jewish leaders would have known, was what God said of himself. That's what he, that's what he answered. Who are you? I am. Meaning, I'm, I'm just, this is me. Yesterday, today, forever, I am. And so what Jesus was directly saying to the Jewish leaders is, I am God and I am here. So he was very clear on who he was. Interesting enough, the Jewish leaders, this is why, in case you don't know, this is why Jesus was executed. It wasn't because he had done anything wrong. It wasn't because he, um, you know, he he had got the Romans angry. He was executed for blasphemy. The Jewish leaders made sure he was executed for calling himself God. And uh, they said they didn't believe he was who he said he was. And many people feel the same today. And so this is the key question to answer. You know, we can get into many debates. We can debate about evolution. We can debate about sexuality. We can have these debates through history. The key thing for us to answer is, was Jesus who he said he is? Because if that's true, then all the rest is irrelevant. It's secondary and it falls under what Jesus says. So this is the key thing to answer is, was Jesus who he said he was? The deity of Christ is absolutely central. And so today we're going to hit three simple areas. Firstly, physical evidence for Jesus being God. Secondly, philosophical evidence, so our mind, our thought processes. And finally, spiritual evidence. So those three we're going to dive into. So first one. Physical evidence. And uh, I hope for those of you who love facts, and uh, this sermon's going to be a lot about that as well. So first bit of physical evidence, manuscripts. So copies written um, on on, on different forms, papyrus and and others, uh, more like um, a a very thin sort of animal leather was was most most of them written on. Uh, Papyrus would have been before that. Uh, But we're going to look at some of these stats. So manuscripts. Now, Alexander the Great. His armies traveled 22,000 miles, history says, and everyone believes Alexander the Great was a real person. Well, everything written about Alexander the Great is drawn from five historical manuscripts or copies, just five, all written more than 400 years after he was alive, but we all believe he was a real person. Julius Caesar, only 10 manuscript, manuscript copies are in existence of him and his life and everything that he did. But he's accepted to be a real person in history with 10 copies in existence. Homer's Iliad, which is often used as almost the history of the ancient Greeks. That's what Homer's Iliad, the writings are about. There's only 643 manuscripts in existence written hundreds of years after the actual events took place. 
And that's the whole history of, of Greek civilization. We get it pretty much all from Homer's Iliad. What about the Bible? What about uh, what we hear about Jesus? Well, we have approximately 24,000 manuscripts, 5,000 in Greek, handwritten, uh, obviously, as I was saying, existing today. And many of these manuscripts date to within 100 years of Jesus dying. In fact, the closest time gap is 25 years after Jesus died with living witnesses. So 24,000 manuscripts compared to 643 for all of uh, the Greek civilization, only 10 for Julius Caesar, 5 for Alexander the Great. When you look at that, as far as Jesus and who he was, it's the greatest form of evidence that there is for our time. Let's look at a man called Sir Lionel Laku. I love this. If you don't have heard of him, he maintained his private legal practice spanning most of the years from 1940 to 1985, and he became a Queen's Counsel in 1954. His reputation earned him an entry in the Guinness Book of World Records, where he's dubbed the world's most successful lawyer. You can find that today, the world's most successful lawyer. The record is for obtaining, a, as a defense trial lawyer, 245 successive murder acquittals. Dynamite, 245 successive murder acquittals. In a few instances, his client, clients were found guilty in jury trials, but then they were acquitted in appeal cases. 245 successive. He's also practiced as a barrister in England. He later served as a judge. This is what he said about the evidence of Jesus and who he was, the manuscript evidence. He says, I say unequivocally, that the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so overwhelming that it compels acceptance by proof, which leaves absolutely no room for doubt. You see, there exists no documents from the ancient world that are witnessed by so excellent a set of historical witnesses. And an honest person, and I'll say this clearly, an honest person cannot dismiss a source of this kind. Otherwise, all of ancient history must be disregarded. All of it must be. If you disagree with the evidence that comes on Jesus and who he was, you have to disagree with all other historical um, evidence. So that's the first one, manuscripts. Second one, written prophetic words. So in Old Testament scripture, things were written about Christ coming that came to pass written hundreds of years before the events happened. So we call these prophetic words, talking about what would happen in the future. People wrote about uh, many years before the birth of Christ, and these are all written down and, and, and copied on in manuscripts. Prophecies were written about the virgin birth in Isaiah 7, Jesus being born in Bethlehem in Micah 5 verse 2, um, the fact that Jesus' parents would flee to Egypt uh, to save their lives, Isaiah 11 verse 1, that Jesus would be betrayed by Judas for 30 pieces of silver um, in Zechariah 11 verse, 20, uh, verse 12. In Psalm 22, exactly how Jesus would die before crucifixion was even invented before crucifixion was uh, invented by the Persians and, and uh, then um, perfected by the Romans as a torture method, it was written about in Psalms. Isaiah 53, exactly how Jesus would die. You know, these prophetic words, uh, th this is another written evidence of the fact that this is spiritual and Jesus is God, because how is that possible? I, I remember guys looking at it and saying the chance of all of these prophecies coming together in one person is, is astounding. You know, it would, it would never happen, um, but for it being God. Next one, written contents. Uh, you know, if you were writing a book of fiction, 
Would you put the hero, Jesus, some of you may love the Marvel movies and their superheroes and all those sorts of things. Now, would you put the hero, Jesus, asking his dad if he didn't have to go through what he was about to go through? I mean, does that look pretty heroic? Dad, please, like, just take me away from this. I don't want to do this. That's not a hero that we would naturally follow. What about woman in the Bible, utterly despised in that period, but being the ones who found the empty tomb? No one wanted women around. They were absolutely despised in that time. But yet in biblical writing, these, uh, these ladies actually have a vital role to play in what happened. Well, what about having biblical writers describing their sins and failures in such details? I mean, think of Peter, de- you know, denying Jesus three times. I mean, did, would you really want that in if this was a book of fiction? Why were all of these things written in there? Well, because probably it was true. Why else would you put things in that you would never want in a heroic story? Why would they be in the Bible? Why would the mess ups of people be in the Bible? Well, because it happened. So that's just some. There's so much more that I could speak on a physical evidence, but I I just want to give you a bit. Second point, philosophical evidence. So our thought processes. How does that look? How does that work? Our thought processes. Well, firstly, the gospel accounts. So we have uh, the Gospels are effectively the biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, for those of you who, who don't know. And so written by different people about Jesus on earth and what happened. Now, some people would say, why is it that the Gospels are different? Some have certain stories, some have others, some mention some things about Jesus, some uh, leave those out. Um, why, why do they bring up different points and leave out others? Surely that points to the fact that this isn't true, that it's different, that, that things came about differently, that these are people just trying to make a story. Well, I would say this isn't a problem. The issue would be if those four were dramatically different in the key points of the story. Now, if you speak to witnesses and you'd be able to ask an investor, uh, investigator, you'd be able to ask a policeman, you'd be able to um, ask them when they uh, ask eyewitnesses about what happened, uh, maybe in a war situation, maybe um, an attack, maybe a car accident, and there's people there, people will notice different things. In fact, if I was here and I got some people to come up and do a drama act, you know, I got some people to do different things. If I then later asked a lot of people in the room what happened in the story, people would notice different things. But the bottom line is, is, is the collective story, the main points, is that there? And if that's there, that's not a problem because naturally as people with different, different personalities, different minds will pick up slightly different things. Now, police and investigators collate all these, this eyewitness testimony and they see the outliers, people who probably weren't there or weren't concentrating, but they always narrow it down to what happened from the basis of a lot of different eyewitnesses. They push out the things that don't really matter, maybe the color of someone's clothing, or, or maybe a smaller story of another vehicle that wasn't involved, but then they, they narrow it down to what really mattered. And so this would be the exact same case with the four gospels. All of them tell the same story. In, in terms of Jesus being born of a virgin, growing up, his ministry, eventually being killed and rising again. They all tell the same story. Slightly different other elements are involved, but the key and most important elements of the message are 100% there. And so the gospel accounts, uh, I think it completely fits in with all eyewitness testimony that we can have. Next one, philosophical evidence, the world's dating system. You know, the whole world's dating system, BC and AD, this is based on Jesus Christ. Before Christ and Anno Domini in the year of our Lord. You've got to ask your question. This man only did ministry for three years. Before that, he was just a carpenter and he was, he was, he was nothing special. 
how is it, you've got to ask yourself mentally, ask yourself philosophically, how is it that an entire world system that we still use today is based on someone who apparently could be very insignificant? I don't think so. I think that's just pointing to who Jesus is. What about global coverage? There are more books written about Jesus than any other in history. The Bible is consistently the bestseller every year. Ironically, it's not on the number one bestseller list in bookshops on Amazon. You won't find it there. Um, And I think partly it's because maybe people would get bored by it. But I think more importantly is that people in certain circles would rather not see that the Bible is the bestseller every single year. Philosophical evidence, uh, maybe this would also be on the physical side, but there has been no archaeological contradiction to anything written in the Bible, still to this day. Nothing. Nothing found in archaeology at all across the world um, brings into question anything that's found in Scripture. A Yale historian, Jaroslav Pelikan, he says, Regardless of what anyone personally thinks or believes about him, Jesus of Nazareth has been the dominant figure in the history of the Western culture for almost 20 centuries. It's from his birth that most of the human race dates its calendars. It's by his name that's millions curse and it's in his name that millions pray. There is huge philosophical evidence for Jesus. Final bit in the philosophical evidence before we go on to our third and final point would be the Lord lunatic liar argument from C.S. Lewis. Now many would say, And still to this day, people who aren't Christ followers would agree that Jesus' teachings are some of the purest and clearest moral teachings that our world follows. The Sermon on the Mount in particular, that would be agreed and accepted as the way to live by everyone, regardless of their faith. Now, this is what C.S. Lewis says in answer to Jesus not being God, but being a great moral teacher, as many across the world would say. He says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that Jesus of, that people often say about him. People often say, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus uh, said um, uh, would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. And this is uh, C.S. Lewis who himself was an atheist and became a Christ follower based on the evidence and, and researching God. You see, if Jesus was a liar, why did he knowingly go through the most terrible death for a lie, as well as his many followers who knew him as well? If he was a lunatic, how is he considered to have produced some of the purest moral teachings of all time with billions of followers? And if he was not God, he was not a good man at all. He said he could forgive sins, and if he can't, that is a wicked, terrible thing to say. And he was killed because he said he was God and uh, not for any other reason. One time, for example, some leaders explained to Jesus why they were trying to kill him. John 10 verse 33, because you are a mere man, but you've made yourself God. That's why he was killed. He was calling himself God. The answer C.S. Lewis points out is that you have to make your choice. You have to make your choice, but he cannot be just a good man. He's either God or he's a lunatic, a liar or something far worse, but we have to make our choice. Next one, philosophical evidence, living eyewitnesses, living eyewitnesses. This is again us to sit on on the witness side. Uh, Look at this, 1 Corinthians 15. 
This is Paul writing to the Corinthian church. He says, now I want to remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, and by which you're being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, now listen to this, as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, Peter, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, listen to this point, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep, they've died. Then he appeared to James, then to all apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I'm the very least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle. Now this was written when eyewitnesses were still alive. And none of this was disputed. None of what was written here was disputed at all. It was written in a time period where people who had seen Jesus, they'd seen the resurrection, they were alive. They would have read the story. And if that wasn't true, this would have been utterly squashed by everyone in society. But it wasn't. Why? Because it's what happened. Eyewitnesses saw the empty tomb. And on that, uh, last bit of philosophical evidence, the empty tomb. This has always been a question mark. Was it really empty? What happened? Now we know there was no body in the tomb because if there had been, the Jewish authorities would have just shown everyone the body, would have just squashed it. They would have just said, guys, here's the dead man. This is Jesus. You can see he was dead and obviously he's not God. He didn't rise again, but they never did that. Why? Because there was no body. So the question has always been, was it stolen by the disciples? Did these guys come in? They thought, listen, we need to make this real. So we're going to sneak in there. We're going to take the Bible, uh, not the Bible. <laughs> we're going to take Jesus and uh, we're going to get rid of him for you know, the, the sake of what's happened. So what if the disciples stole the body as a hoax or as a joke? Or because somehow they really wanted to believe this was true. You know, they loved the man Jesus. They had given their lives for him. They really wanted to believe it was true. Well, basically all the disciples died for what they believed and they spent their lives talking about it. So it's highly unlikely that they would do this knowing that Jesus wasn't who he said he was. I know I wouldn't. If something was a complete hoax and I knew it and someone was a fraud, there's no way I was going to give my life for that person. You know, so that's highly unlikely. And on top of it, what about the Roman guards? They would have been killed for not keeping a lookout. They would have absolutely been killed for that. But look what happens in Matthew 28 verse 11. While they were going, um, behold, some of the guard went into the city, the story of the disciples, and told the chief priests all that had taken place. When they assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers. Again, this would have been disputed. I'll tell you in a bit. And said, tell people, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. This is a story that the gods needed to tell to their superiors. And if it comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. So some have said that the tomb wasn't guarded. So it would have been easy for the disciples to steal. But if there hadn't been any gods, look at what world-renowned professor William Craig says. He said, now if there had not been any gods, the exchange would have gone something like this. In response to the claim that Jesus has risen, the Jews would have said, no, he hasn't risen. The disciples stole the bottle, uh, not, the, not the bottle, the body. Then Christians would reply, but the gods uh, would have prevented the theft. Then the Jewish response would have been, what gods? You're crazy. There were no gods. That's how it would have gone if there were no gods, right? But history tells us something different, that what the Jewish people said to this day is that story there, what we described in the passage. And so what it means is that the gods were there, which is why that's been circulated. And so they would have been killed for sleeping. They wouldn't have been sleeping, which means the body couldn't have been stolen. So finally, as I close, and I feel probably this is the most powerful, is 
personal life change as a result of Jesus Christ within people's hearts, spiritual evidence. I believe it's probably the most powerful. And then we're going to pray. You know, there's been the emergence from Jesus and his death and resurrection of a church of 2 billion people or over that worldwide. And this continues to grow. Thousands of people every year give their lives. They lay down their lives. They die for the sake of Jesus. There's countless stories of them saying, he's appeared to us, he's been with us, and we're prepared to die for this. Not to hurt someone, not suicide bombing. We're prepared to give our lives. And as families, we're prepared to die for this person who's changed our lives from the inside out. There's stories both within our church and, within our, and, and beyond the walls of our church of lives completely transformed from prisoners to prostitutes, rapists, the list goes on. People's lives altered forever. We've seen this amongst us. And I'm not talking about just a, a brief seven steps and your life's a bit better. I'm talking about people going in one direction and completely changed mind, body, heart, soul, completely transformed. See, I believe that people don't reject God because he's difficult to know or because there's a lack of evidence. But it's because admitting that we need God can be incredibly hard. Getting rid of our pride and taking on humility and, and, and admitting that we need someone else's help. That can be a really difficult thing for all of us, Christ followers and not. And so if you're here today and you're listening and you're still searching or maybe you've been close to God, please don't stop. Be open to him. He promises that we find him when we seek him with all our heart. And that's my prayer for you. If you've been sent this by a friend, um, if you are still exploring or maybe you've been a bit close to faith, my prayer is that you just open your heart and say, just what if? What if God is real? So I pray today that uh, I've given you some encouragement, some truth, some conversation starters, some questions to chat about, um, ultimately made you more confident in your faith, in who Jesus is as we run up towards Easter are the things that he accomplished true? Yes. Are the things that he said about him true? Yes. Are the things that the Bible said about him true? Yes. I, I just believe it with all my heart. I do. And I so want you to believe it as well. And uh, I, I want us to live on the back of this, to live sold out for the king. So let's pray and we'll close off. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you that you have made it so clear and so plain who you are to us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you've given us physical evidence beyond doubt. Thank you that you've given us philosophical thought processes and ways to think with our mind, the logics of what we believe and make sense. Thank you that there's amazing spiritual evidence that just spans the, yeah, just all the time and, 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 and just spans life change and continues to grow and continues to change people's hearts. Father, I pray that if people are in the camp today who, who don't know you, just right now, would you open yourself to the Holy Spirit? Let him speak to you and get exploring, get in touch with us. If you want to know just different things to read and different things to watch or someone to pray with, we'd love to do that. Father, people who maybe have been feeling like foundations of faith have been a little bit weakened. I pray that today would have given a bit of strengthening and a bit of bolstering, a bit of confidence in this God that we believe in. Thank you, God, that you're working. Thank you that you're touching us. Uh, we pray over these next few weeks in the run up to Easter that you would draw our hearts to you and what you accomplished on the cross, that many people amongst us would, would come to faith as a result of this time. Your wonderful name we pray. Amen.
Thanks so much for your time. I know it was quite a lot of stats and facts and verses and things to get through, but, but please do do more research. If you want to know other books or videos to watch, get in touch. But otherwise, it's great having you part of the family. Thank you for your generosity. We're, we're continually astounded by that. It's exciting to see God on the move uh, at Harvest and our different sites, and we continue to pray He does that, that He's the one who gets the glory. Uh, we're just so excited that He's building His church, and it's just brilliant having you part of that. Uh, so have a brilliant day. We'll catch up with you soon. Thanks so much.